tell stories so grand of this vast, timeless land, and they call it Sunday with Macca. Yeah, good morning, Macca. This is David and Mandy. We're calling you from the top of Shepherd's Peak, which is in Expedition National Park, sitting on the top, looking wet towards Carnarvon Gorge, and the moon just coming down to the horizon. So we thought we'd love to give you a call and say good day. Magnificent views that we get here. It's just wonderful. Oh, good day, Macca. This is Murray calling in from uh, Robinvale. Yeah, we're just letting you know that despite the incursion of the Varroa mite, the uh, pollination season down here in the Riverine is going on. We're trucking about 600 beehives this morning into the almond orchards around there. They're just starting to flower and we're coming from Queensland with our bees. Murray, what's the Varroa mite story? Is it uh, under control? It's going to be one hell of a battle and people in the industry and the government have put in uh, about $100 million trying to stop it in the last 12 months. I don't know. It's going to be tough. There's no doubt about it. It's slowly spreading. We can only hope and pray that it does. I've worked bees in Canada and England and places like that, and it will be devastating to the industry for about, you know, at least 10 or 12 years probably until we can figure out how to live with it. Just giving you a ring to let you know that mm-hmm. the, you might see the bee trucks with hundreds of thousands of bees on the back still rolling through, and all the almond orchards that flower at this time of year around Robinvale, Swan Hill, Mildura, Griffith, and they all need bees. They're sort of 100% reliant on honeybee pollination to get those nuts. And then a lot of guys after that will go back up to Bundaberg on avocados and macadamias. A lot of guys go to seed canola and apples and things around Stanthorpe or wherever. For the next three months, you know, the bees are really important to move around and do those pollination jobs. Australians all know if you're rich or you ain't got a cracker. They tell stories so grand of this vast, timeless land and they call it Sunday with Macca. They all call it Sunday with Macca. Yeah, they all call it Sunday with Macca. Get on with it, Macca. I will. Good morning. Welcome to the program, wherever you are. Wonderful win last night. I've got a little song here which I think we could adapt for the Matildas. Uh, I'll play that in a minute. Our number's 1300 700 A bit of a week this week. VP Day will be commemorated on Tuesday. That's the end of the war in the Pacific. And I've got a lovely story about that in the Orlove News. A love story. A love story. And, of course, Thursday, I, I think at... Um, in Canberra, certainly, but all around the place, the 50th anniversary uh, and a commemorative service for the 18th of August uh, in uh, in Canberra. That'll be in Canberra. Uh, lots of things on around the place. City to Surf's on. Our little offside here, Scarlet's running in the City to Surf, I think. And uh, and you, 1300 700 222. I had an email the other day from the Reverend uh, Mark Pierce in Melbourne. Uh, supporting Rochester, their their church, Holy Trinity Church in Surrey Hills, and he's on the line. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. Uh, Tell us what uh, Holy Trinity Anglican is doing. Uh, Rochester, like a lot of little towns, uh, are still struggling, aren't they? Yeah, we've uh, heard and aware of the struggles that Rochester are under with the flood that they had in October last year and Many people still displaced from their homes, uh, living in caravans, which would not be great in the middle of summer, in the middle of winter. I can't imagine what it would be like to live in a caravan with young children or young families. And so as a parish, each October, we look, uh, each August, we look at admission, ways in which we can make a difference in the lives of others and to share God's love that we have. We've been greatly blessed. And so we would seek to help 
a community or a group that are in need. And so we partnered with the Diocese of Bendigo to provide some support and some hope uh, and some care and some love for the community of Rochester. Well, good on you. And I think uh, that's what churches and others provide is some sort of leadership. And, and to let people know, I think, that um, uh, the rest of us are, are, are doing okay. But there are some people who are, as you say, living in caravans, living in pods, or they're living far away from the town where they grew up and have lived their life. And all of a sudden, they can't move back there for insurance reasons and all that sort of thing to get their houses fixed. I'm not sure what it's like in Rochi. We were there uh, a little while ago um, and we've been uh, November, I think we were there and um, it was a lovely morning, but people came back, but a bit of sadness in their, in their eyes and you won't be happy really till your town gets back to some sort of normality. I mean, Lismore's probably the same and other places around the place we've been to, Yagara and up there on the north coast of New South Wales. It's, a, it's an ongoing problem, isn't it, Mark? It certainly is, but I guess what we would want to share with the people of Rochester is the Bible teaches us in the Psalms that we're not alone in Psalm 23 or Psalm 121, that we're not alone, or even the Acts of the Apostles where when there was one part of the church, the young church that was struggling through hardship, mm. other churches came together to support them and to encourage them and to share the hope and the love and the forgiveness and the new life that we have in God. And so that's what we seek to do. I wonder what make we, a difference. Yeah, I wonder what we can do. You've said in your email you thought you'd like to highlight this, and many in Rochester feel abandoned. And I think, uh, as I said, there's lots of other little places like that. There's a town on the north coast. Where do we go to kill uh, Korokai? We went to Korokai, and and Woodburn was just absolutely smashed. And and I think the the people do feel abandoned, I suppose, because all of a sudden your town that once was and thriving doesn't exist anymore. So I suppose that we just need, um, when we went there and we had a lot of people there, it's, it's nice to, to do. I thought we might come down to your church one, uh, one Sunday morning, and, but I suppose you're pretty busy on Sunday mornings, aren't you, Mark? Uh, we are busy, but we will make some changes. It would be great to welcome you to yeah. be here and do an outdoor broadcast. We can change things around and we can get some support also from the Diocese of Bendigo because they'd love to come down and help and be involved as well. Well, that'd be great. Anything that, that we, anything we can do to make a difference, but for people going up to Echuca or beyond, stop at Rochester, have a look at the silo, buy a coffee at one of the cafes, get your fuel there, call in and say hi to that amazing community that is rebuilding very slowly, but give them some support, some love, some care. That's uh, well spoken, Mark. Uh, what time's your service this morning? You, you're busy. Bitty... I've got busy on Sundays, aren't you? Yeah, I've got one at 8 and one at 9.30. <laughs> I better let you go. And when you, do you have a, I remember one morning a uh, a vicar or a reverend uh, pastor rang me one morning and he said, uh, it was early in the morning, he rang about 6, a bit after 6, and he said, um, I often listen to your program to get some inspiration about something to talk about in the morning because we get people ringing up about all sorts of things. And so so how do you draw your inspiration on things to talk to talk about? Uh, I see what's happening in the world. I'm sure the Matildas might get a mention this morning. <laughs> so uh, I do that. I just uh, reflect on where people are in their journey of life and uh, what we can do to support and encourage. That's the amazing thing. We have a God that does journey with us, and I'm in a privileged position to be able to share God's love and God's hope 
and the hope in Christ with others in the context where they're at, which is what I do. Now, I used to listen to you many moons ago all the time because I used to have a parish up around Rochester and I had right. multiple centres. Uh-huh. So when I did the charge between one town to the next, I would always have Macca on the radio as we did so. There you go. Well, so, all right, Mark. Well, I look forward to seeing you sometime. Maybe in September we'll come down and, and do, something, do something uh, uh, on your grounds uh, for Rochester and, and, and for others, for everybody. That would be terrific. Good on you, Mark. Good luck. Take care. Thank you. Good day. This is Macca. Macca. Uh, John Hardy here up on the Atherton Tableland, far north Queensland, Macca. How you going, John? Uh, yeah, well, thank you, mate. That's uh, right. Just to talk about uh, Victory in the Pacific commemoration that we're conducting up here today mm-hmm. for the Tableland Regional Council, and uh, uh, that's to commemorate the end of... Uh, World War Two. That's on Tuesday, we, isn't it? Uh, the yeah, the yeah, official day, yeah. That's the official one, but we have it on the closest Sunday. So yeah. uh, the War Memorial Park here is unique in Australia in that it's um, located near the hospital complex uh, of the second second uh, Australian General Hospitals, second sixth Australian General Hospital, and the second first convalescent depot. And in all, there were five thousand patients located in this area and serviced uh-huh. by. 2,000 staff, so biggest, um, yeah, biggest hospital complex in the Southern Hemisphere, World War Two. And were they coming back from um, uh, New Guinea or...? No, no, they were coming back from the Middle East yep. and uh, Greece and Crete, uh, six divisions, so primarily the 6th, 7th and 9th divisions uh, come back here. Mm. And, uh, yeah, there was 100,000 troops uh, come in here in early uh, '43. And, uh, of course, the hospital complex was uh, put in to service uh, those that were injured in training accidents or mm. they come back from uh, New Guinea for R&R and you know, a lot of them had malaria and whatever, so mm. they brought them back and they were they were housed here in the hospital complex. There's a lot of, we were talking about that last week, uh, uh, to do with the Air Force, there's, there's a lot of accidents in training, isn't there? I mean... Uh, yeah. When you're training for war, it's pretty serious stuff too, just like the war itself. Yeah, well, of the uh, we've got a, a war cemetery here, and that went in and in the 1942 before the troops arrived. So it's interesting. Mm. So in preparation uh, for those training accidents and those that passed on uh, as a result of their war injuries or also the malaria and the like, but we've got 164 graves here, which is the uh, third. Uh, largest in Queensland, and of those 164 graves, uh, there were 73 of them died there at Rocky Creek. That's right. Hospital. I was going to, going to say, it's the, this is the Rocky Creek Memorial. I hear lots yes, about yeah, that. And, yes. And my friend Stan Mellick used to tell me about yeah. Rocky Creek. Yeah, well, that's another reason I rang you. He'll get uh, recognition today during the ceremony. Uh, you know, Stan passed away on the 2nd of March uh, this year. And uh, just after his 103rd birthday, and I actually went to his funeral in Brisbane there. So and, did I. Uh, I was there too. Uh, sorry? I was, there, I was there too. Were you? It stands. I, yeah, see? no, well, I, you know, I, I, uh, when I went up and paid tribute, uh, people placed uh, poppies and whatever on his uh, coffin. But I, I, uh, I brought down some leaves from our War Memorial Park of our commemorative trees. Uh, it's rook fig tree. Um, there was also an olive uh, tree um, branch uh, of the 6th Division that we give recognition to. 
and a Borneo rain tree in recognition of our 8th Division uh, POWs. Yeah, well, that's not lovely. Stan was a lovely bloke, uh, a, yeah. a great patriot, um, a great pusher of the word Commonwealth because Commonwealth meaning the Commonwealth of Australia. Um, yes. A lovely word, a lovely man, Stan. Yeah, and he a, was. A, and that's a great yeah. thing that you're going to um, recognise him there up there at Rocky Creek because he always told me that and he said he wanted to... Yeah, he was thought it was a because it is a, it's it's an amazing place when you think about the hospital there as you just told us. Yeah, um, it's um, and all that happened. We you can't forget your history, John. Yeah, well, we've got uh, fifteen individuals to be recognised today with memorial plaques going up on the wall there, and families have come from all around Australia to uh, to be present for the dedication and uh, place you know poppy on the memorial plaque as part of the ceremony. What sort of a winter have you had in uh, Atherton and up in the well, I've got, jack- got a jacket on here, and uh, it's last week's probably one of the coolest weeks I've experienced. And uh, wow. it's been quite wet. We, every morning you can get drizzle, wake up to drizzle. I haven't put my head out yet, but uh, it's expected to be uh, fine uh, today and for the rest of the week. But every morning the drizzle will start and then it'll fine up. But the- <laughs> I hail from Innisfail, and uh, down there they're suffering pretty badly from all the wet and the sugarcane harvest. Oh, really? There you yeah. go. So, jo- so yeah, jo- John, that's on today in Atherton? No, that's at the War Memorial Park at between Ro- Tolga. Pro- yeah, yeah, between Tolga and? Mareeba. Mareeba. Well, if there's well, people on the road, and I'm sure there will be. And what time well, does that start, John? Uh, well, I, I do a, a meet and greet for the uh, 15 families coming uh, for the dedication of the plaques. So I do that for... An, hour uh, from nine o'clock ten o'clock we dedicate those memorial plaques uh the salvation army uh, officer miriam gentle she dedicate them mm. and at 11 o'clock we have our uh, commemorative service uh will begin for about an hour all right mate good on you john yeah thanks mate i'll see you in uh, tolga sometime yeah uh good morning mate just recovering from an exhausting night last night, watching those great young women win the uh, the, the game. Yeah, I'll say, I'll say it was, oh. it was nerve-wracking. I don't watch football particularly. Um, I've given it away. I mean, my local team, I used to support one as a kid because I can't stand the stress. And then I, <laughs> and here I found myself watching this with the shootout, and I thought, oh, no, I've... This is, it's no good for your heart. It's no good for anything. It's, it's not, is it? But I, the, the courage of those young women, just to keep going um, under that pressure, and especially the last one that took the penalty, she probably wouldn't have expected to be up there shooting at, at the sixth uh, person. Yeah. And for them to hold that spirit, and I don't know if you ever looked at the soccer uh, net, it looks a fair area, but when you've got one person in front of you and you've got to put that ball in, yeah. it's not a big area. And to see that skill that was required and just the way both sides played it, it was in a really good feeling. There was no nastiness. There was none of this fake rolling around on the ground after you got hit in the shoulder and your knees broken or something like that. It mm. was just so inspiring it really was and for an older person to see something like that with those young women it's emotional it still is now yeah i i think i thought that the french looked a bit better on the field but i thought the australians were much better at taking their shots they seemed to be much better at penalty shoot shootouts they seemed to be just uh that little bit better and that's what won the match for them i thought the french were pretty good on the generally around the park 
they were certainly focused at the end, the Australians. They really had that you could see in their eyes. And just the, I, I'm sorry, just the, the, the young girls, the young women that have brought that pride back and the lifted the for especially generations to come. Everybody so, needs something like that, Rod, don't they? And and, and the faces uh, when the cameras panned around the crowd and you see the little kids, little boys, little girls, oh. they're all smiling and full of beans. And you, you yeah. sort of need everybody needs that from time to time. And I think after the last three years, uh, that's what it is. So almost a you start crying. You're so happy. Well, you did, and I must admit, after the negativity we've had, especially with the robo-debt and all that difficult things that's gone on, I think to put that pride back, everybody can walk around that much taller today. Mm. So, yeah, good on it. And I must admit, I actually talked to you a few months ago. I'm the sign writer from Bruni Island. And all right. And it really did. It's put the uh, straightness back in the hand for the work on Monday, I must admit. It really has. It, it's got that steeliness. If, if they can do it at that age, I can still do it at 75. So let's uh, let's put that. It's carried on. And there are things that they don't realise what they're affecting um, mm. people around the place. And it's that, well, we I just, don't know. We've just grabbed hold of it because we need something, I think, and and that's been it. And it's the World Cup, and it's here, and the world's watching, and it's also we're playing the world. So, and they've, as Slim sang in his song written by Graham Connors, "You've done us proud." Um, yeah, and you're in Hobart, are you, Rod? I am. I'm back. I left Bruni. I was there yesterday, but I had to come back because tomorrow I'm off to Launceston to do some more work. So, what, uh... what sort of work are you doing? Uh, well, it's with signs. Um, right. We're putting a big one on a wall in, a, in the city of Launceston, so uh, my son and I will leave around about five in the morning is and it, drive it, through. So you're a sign writer, aren't you? Yes, yes. I talk to yes, and yes. Still do, you, do it the traditional way. Well, that's uh, lovely. I'll have a look at that next time I'm down in Lonnie. <laughs> down in Lonnie. <laughs> it's right. just for, it's for a national company, so it's just one of the normal ones you see around anywhere. So uh, no, I'm proud. I'm working. Uh, we'll go so much taller uh, today. Good on you, Rod. Thank you very much, Anka. Bye. Mate. Bye. Yeah, Maggie, you brought back memories this morning when you played the old rabbit trapping song. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I got an old 1925 T model Ford Ute, which I do up as a rabbit trapping Ute. Right. Um, yeah. With all the rabbit traps in there, and and uh, skins and ferret foxes and stuffed rabbits, and you might remember uh, in Horsham about 20 years ago, you had a look at the Ute. Uh, you were doing a trap, doing a signing in um, book signing in the ABC shop. All right, remember uh, those? Yeah, remember those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah a long time ago. <laughs> when I when I take the old T model rabbit trapping Ute to the you know car shows, I've got that song playing all the time. I've got it on a boom box under the dash. It plays all the time and people come and look at, you know, it's amazing the young generation today, they, uh, that's a thing of the past, the old rabbit trap, and they don't well, know what it uh, is. Well, until we get a rabbit plague and then it won't be a thing of the past, mate. It'll come back. I mean, I, I don't know how they are going at the moment after all the rain for the last year or so. I don't know if their rabbits are on the increase or whatever, but they seem to, you know, come back. It's like a bit like grasshoppers yeah. and, and droughts yep. and floods. They, yeah, they come along. Yeah, there's a few about, but uh, you're not allowed to use those old steel rabbit traps anymore, Macca, which is, uh, uh, that's just a sign of the times, but you're still allowed to use the ferrets. You can put the ferret down the bar and chase him out into the net, which is a great pastime and it's a great way to take the kids out and teach them a bit of country life. And Gary, where are you ringing from this morning? 
Well, I'm ringing from Kingscliff Beach Caravan Park, mm. which is uh, just in northern New South Wales. I've just watched the sun rise over the ocean, mm. which is magnificent. And I've been feeding, feeding three young clovers and their parents a bit of breakfast, a bit of crust biscuit this morning. So uh, um, it's great. It's Australia's, Australia's a great country. Well, so now, but you, and you're from Horsham? Yeah, I'm from Horsham, Macca. I'm up here, one of the grey nomads. I'm up here for three months, getting rid of the cold old uh, uh, Victorian weather. Yeah. And, and it's been and, magnificent up but, here. But you haven't got your ute with you? No. No, I haven't got the rabbit trap ute with me, Macca, but it's home, tucked up in the garage, waiting to take out to a car show when I get home. All right, Gaz. Good on you, mate. I might see you in Kingscliff. I might come up there this week. Are you going to be at Kingscliff for a while? I'm at, I'm at Kingscliff for another month at the caravan park. <laughs> Sounds, Beach Sounds good, mate. Good on you, guys. Good on you, Mac. Good to hear from you again. Vincent's in Broadmeadow. Is that right, Vincent? Yes, that's right, Mac. How are you this morning? Yeah, good, thank you. What's happening? Uh, not much, mate. We've just done a little bit of a trip across to uh, Western Australia to Exmouth uh, and Esperance and Iron Knob. And I'll give you a call across the road there, but we sort of lost a bit of um, time having a talk to you. So mm-hmm. I thought I'd give you another call this morning. There you go. There you go. And it's been good. Where are you? Broadmeadow in Victoria. Broadmeadow is Victoria, yeah. Um, we've been there, lived, lived there for about 50 odd years and we're doing a little bit of travelling now. And um, yeah, it's just good to see the countryside and see all the birds and all the critters and talking about the, the rabbit hunting. And we used to do that with our grandfathers and so forth. And yeah, it's been lovely. Well, they come and go, don't they, rabbits? I mean, we haven't heard about them for a while since Khaleesi, I suppose. There was myxomatosis and, and then Khaleesi was released or escaped and knocked them back a bit. But you never know because yeah, only has to have good seasons like we're having now and then all of a sudden we'll have a rabbit plague, you know. But um, I don't know. Uh, it's a bit like everything, a bit like droughts, a bit like floods, a bit like, you know, um, grasshopper plagues. They just come and go, don't they? Yes, they do, and I think it sort of works on the weather too, like when the floods come through and all that sort of stuff. You tend to get, you know, like a lot of fish, then you get a bit of black water, and the black the, the fish all die. It's just yeah, it's a it's a ama- it's amazing to see how the country can um, run on its own, and you get you know the different the, the heat from the dry and the drought, and then you know you get the floods and. Yeah, but they they come back. There's there's a lot of places that have still got a lot of rabbits around them down Gippsland Way and so so forth, where it's a little bit more um, cooler and so forth, I suppose. But um, yes, no, it's been amazing to see how in oh, I'm only still young, I'd call myself, but yeah. um, in the years that I've seen from my grandfather through, you know, war torn when they went to the war and all that sort of stuff, and then they come back and there was drought and then there was famine. And, you know, it's amazing to see in 50-odd years that I've been around how much the country's changed. Exactly. Now, you're in Broadmeadow this morning. What's the weather like there, mate? Uh, it's a little bit overcast. Um, I don't think it's raining at this point in time, but it did uh, yesterday afternoon. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it's... Uh, it's going to be a good day, I suppose. Any day is a good day when you wake up, isn't it, I suppose? <laughs> That's what people say. Good on you, Vincent. Great to talk All to right. you. No worries. You too, Mac. Have a great afternoon. Maud's in Harvey Bay. Morning, Maud. Hi, morning. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Well, I'm not doing too badly. I haven't been really well in the last 12 or 18 months, but I'm not, you know, there's a lot of people worse off than me. Yeah. <laughs> Maud, um, 
I'm not believing this. My producer has typed up on my screen that you're 101. That can't be true. That is true. Yeah, and I've only got four months to go and I'll be 102. So my... that's that. That's <laughs> worse, isn't it? <laughs> well, well, it's wonderful. Maud, did you watch the soccer last night? Did you watch the Matildas? I did watch it, yes, I did. Yes, How about... very good. Oh, well, it's very, very good. It's... Yeah, now what I wanted to just tell you, Lynn, I've lost both my sisters. Mm. You probably can't remember, but my sister Ethel was 106 when she passed away. I do remember. Yeah. I do remember you rang Edna was 102. And Ethel passed away in October last year, and Edna passed away four weeks later in November. What well, must be which something really in the really knocked me about a fair bit. I bet must be something in the water up there, Maud. Um... <laughs> well, we don't know that one. <laughs> but then I've also lost a grandson this year, only about six weeks ago. Yeah, Which right. was terrible, but yeah, otherwise, you know, I mean, I'm I'm going along okay. I've got a pacemaker and. Things like that these days, and yeah, just keep going. But well, good on what, you. Uh, what I wanted to tell you about was you were talking about birds one day, and I had a couple of magpies out in my front yard, so they were fighting, and I went out to try and stop them, and anyway, they wouldn't stop. I was shooing them and chasing them. Then I got the, the hose and turned the water on them, and that still wouldn't stop them. They kept on and kept on until the better one killed the other man and then he just flew away and left him. Wow. Well, the bird, the, the bird, uh, it's like the murder of crows. The bird uh, community can be very vicious, can't it? Yeah, well, they were. I was always liked magpies up until then, but now I'm not so sure. <laughs> All right, Maud. They're a bit vicious. Well, you look after yourself uh, in Harvey Bay, 101. Good on you, mate. Uh, you uh, look after yourself, Maud. Oh, I do the best I can and I... I have lots of help from different ones around the place. I've got very good neighbours. My family are very good to me, so I've just been wanting to ring you and, you know, just have a little chat and tell you that I'd lost my sisters. And Wow. Yeah. Well, good on you, Maud. Love, I, re- I do remember your call uh, some years ago about your sisters. Uh, I think you're on one of our promos. I should play it sometime. Good on you. <laughs> yeah, I do a wonderful program. Thanks. I'm really, really happy when I listen to that. Good on your board. That's the way. Oh, g'day, Mac Andrew here from Sydney. How are you? Uh, sorry, what's your, your name? I'm Sally and oh. my husband, Andrew, from Sydney. Hi, Sally. How are you? Um, not too bad. We just want to share our, our love of Maui and Lahaina. We've travelled there many, many times over the last 12 years and we're actually absolutely devastated um, by what we're seeing there. We actually have people there that are close friends that are like family to us that we stay with now over there and we just wanted to especially um, share our love and our aloha and our condolences to the people of Lahaina right now. Isn't uh, aloha a great, uh, a great, uh, it's a greeting, it's a hello and, and goodbye, isn't it? Yeah, and love, agape, like love, do you know what I mean, you know, so it means love to, it means everything really. And why did you? Why have you been going there, Sally? What uh, led you to go there in the first place? Um, well, I I booked a trip. Actually, it's really quite funny. Um, I booked a trip in two thousand and eleven um, because my son had just been finishing high school, and at the time we couldn't afford to go on an overseas trip. But he finished year twelve, our eldest, and 
I booked a trip and I, I said, I want to go to Maui. I traveled to Europe, but I wanted to see Hawaii. Um, anyway, so I booked this trip and my husband, Andrew's sitting right next to me. He says, I'm not going on that trip. I'm not going on an airplane. That's too far to go. And I said, well, I've actually booked it. I've paid it a huge deposit, so you're going to have to go. So luckily we had six months to persuade him to come with us, and which he did, and we've been back every year. So I'll let Andrew share a little bit about Maui with you too. All right. Hey, yeah. to see you here. Good day, Andrew. Yeah, we um, yeah, 2011 we flew over and uh, fell in love with the place, and been back nearly every year. We've missed only two years: one uh, 2014 and uh, 2021 with COVID. But um, fell in love with a place, a little place called Napili Bay, which Napili is uh, in Lahaina, uh, about 20 minutes up the road. So all, our, all the people what we've met over the years and the locals, yeah, especially one lady who we know, her niece has lost her house, her nephew's lost their house, her sister-in-law has lost their house, their homes. So I shouldn't say house, their homes. Mm. Um, yeah, there's, we're going through photos. Um, <laughs> we've got photos of uh, going to Fleetwood's, uh, Fleetwood Mac. Or, met him. Mick Fleetwood. <laughs> met him. Yeah. Um, photos there, that's all gone. Um, it's gone. just uh, incredible what's yeah. happened there. Uh, yeah, the only when I uh, I saw some footage, the the real the only way you can really tell the devastation of something like that. I remember I flew over some of the bushfires in Victoria some years ago, but they, they had a, a shot from um, an aerial shot, and it just flew over and street after street after street like this. It looked like. Uh, Tracy, after after tra- uh, you know after the cyclone had hit there, and there was just street after street after street of just nothing, just piles and piles of ash. So and it must have been a drone that just you know they had a drone camera, and um, it just looked, it's just yeah, it's really confronting. The first we 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 only just got back. We've only been back from here probably weeks ago, um, and we got photos. We went through Lahaina a few times. It's a great place for. Um, Dinner, dinners, break. We go there for breakfast. Um, but uh, it was just amazing the the Pioneer Inn, which is for the main um, the main one of the main buildings in Lahaina, was um, the the big way the whaling yeah. capital of of Maui. Well, I suppose I think uh, our government's got in touch with um, the people in Hawaii and said if we can help in any way, and I think that'll happen around the world. That's the uh, the good thing about the international community; they all help. And but um, uh, it's uh, it's devastating, like any fires are. We've had them here in Australia in spades, and so I, I suspect we know what it's like. But um, yeah, it's uh, it must be interesting for you who know it so well, and uh, you see that the. Um if anyone wants to donate, I think Maui Food, food Bank, Bank is, the one. is the is what everyone's talking about. So, our friends, yeah, well, our it's friends going over straight there. to the people. Yeah. All um, right. So what's happening is um, with Maui Food Bank now, it's going straight to the people. Yeah. There's no little man or the Christian communities, the churches are all volunteering, uh-huh. so they're just going into Costco's, getting a lot of food. And donating it to the people of Maui. So Maui, Maui Food, food, ba- Maui food if Bank. People led to donate. It'd be wonderful. Thank you for your time, Maka. Sally and um, Andrew, lovely to talk to you, kids. Can I just say something? Aloha. Yeah. And no 
Nokia, which means Maui's number one in Hawaiian. So aloha, Nokia. Nokia. And, and Maui, sorry, I'm getting emotional. Maui will build back. They're strong people. They're beautiful people. They're Hawaiians. And I know that they'll get strong and to, uh, move back. And just a shout out, my husband's going to fly over there in the coming weeks to be able to help build a bit. Um, and it'll get hopefully a three-month visa and be able to stay there and help build the this beautiful town. You're a couple of little champions. Nice to talk to you, Sal and Andrew. Good on you. Bye. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Thanks, Mega. Bye. This is the All Over News. This is the All Over News, and this is part of a call I had last week from Travis, Michigan. G'day, Macca. How are you? Good, thanks. Justin Morris here in Traverse City, Michigan. I just spoke to a bloke in Traverse City, Michigan. Yeah, that's. Uh, I thought I'd give you a call because there's not many Australians this part of the world, and it's a fairly remote, far-flung part of the USA. Not many people visit. And I thought, oh, isn't that funny? I listened to Macca on a Saturday afternoon to get my fix of Australiana, and I heard another Aussie. And this part of the world is renowned for its farming. It's fruit farming. It's renowned for cherries. And the family I married into, they have a cherry farm here that's been farming cherries and other fruit for 150 years. It's rather sad week. They've just had to cut all of the cherry trees down, pull them out of the ground. And the processing plants that buy the cherries, they have now worked out that they can get cherries from Turkey a lot cheaper than they can get them from the local farmers in Turkey or the government subsidises the farming. It's interesting being in this part of the world, very different from Australia. I miss home, that's why it's good to, to listen to you guys on Saturday well, evening here. Justin, nice to know you're listening in Traverse City. Cheers, Macca. Good Keep on you. Up the good work, love it, thank you. That was Justin Morris from Traverse City, as I said, and subsequent to that I got an email late last week and he says, Macca, thanks for taking my call over the weekend. As mentioned, for expats like myself, your program provides a welcome window to life back home in Australia. Having spent many years living abroad, I come ever more appreciative of the country Australia is and the society we have. Your show helps inspire pride to hold a passport for our country. The sense of community among your guests and listeners is really special and something that I do not witness much here in the USA. I mentioned the plight of my in-law's cherry farm here. If you're interested in the plight of agriculture here, I've linked a few articles below about the farm which I'm living on here in far northern USA. I grew up in northwest Sydney and can see very similar issues pertaining to that area and many others around our great country. As my father-in-law alludes to, this country is going to have a big problem with food in the years ahead. Most farms in this country are run by 60-plus-year-olds who have little option for handover the ever-encroaching development of once small farming towns to become regional hubs is jeopardising what made the towns appealing in the first place. The increasing value of the land, skyrocketing inflation for the costs of farming and plummeting prices for the goods they produce due to globalised markets is making agriculture unsustainable. This all sounds quite familiar, doesn't it? Justin Morris continues, Although short-term it can be a good payday for the farmer by selling the land, I believe most farmers feel a degree of grief over losing something they were once proud to produce. My wife, baby and I are actually moving back to Australia later this year. We have come to really appreciate the opportunities in Australia that we once took for granted. Also, it's appealing to no longer have to deal with winters that seemingly last eight months of the year, where it can go months without ever seeing the mercury rise above zero degrees. We often have days of minus 20 and below in winter here, says... Justin Morris, and he sent me this little piece from a local paper 
from Grand Traverse County, Michigan. If you've driven on US 31 in Williamsburg, you've probably noticed the hundreds of downed cherry trees. But it wasn't disease or bad weather that brought the trees down at the century-old farm. Rows and rows of cherry trees have been uprooted at Pulsifer Orchards. Owner John Pulsifer said that after more than 100 years in the cherry business, it's time to call it quits. The decision to take down the trees wasn't easy, but with no family to take it over, it's too hard to keep growing. It was a land grant that we got back in 1867. My great-grandfather got it, and it's been carried on from that time to present. And that would be 150 years plus, at least for the best of my knowledge. Pulsifer said he made the call of taking down the 110 acres of cherry trees on Memorial Day weekend. One of the biggest challenges for me was just US 31, the highway, trying to get across the street. It was becoming extremely dangerous, and I just figured the risk wasn't worth taking anymore, and it was time to move on, says Pulsifer. It's been coming for the last two or three years because of the low prices. 80% of the Pulsifer orchard consists of tart cherries, and the rest are sweets. I think you'll see other farms in the area leave the cherry industry, he said. In fact, I know of another that's probably going to take the rest of the fruit out this year, and if the prices are as low as they say they're going to be, I think there'll be others that follow. It's a bittersweet ending to the family legacy in the tart and sweet cherry world. This is a story about small, and I mean small, country schools. One teacher school, say 10, maybe 20 kids, from K to, say, 6. And the wonderful experience it can be for teacher and student alike. I suspect education departments would like to be rid of such schools these days. Maybe few exist now. Vive la différence, I reckon, with education. Maybe not herded into large central schools. Plenty of time for that, I reckon, in high school. Anyway, this story concerns Mandy Tunica. She was a long-time poetry correspondent and enthusiast on this program, and I came across an interview with her some years ago after she made a journey in a little Mazda out to some of those small schools. One school she had trouble remembering the name of was Wobbegar. Re-listening to the interview, I realised it was Wobbegar. That's out in the Pilliga. You'll find that on your maps. wonder if there is a school at Wobbegar these days. Anyway, enjoy Mandy Tunica's journey. For someone who's lived in the city in the Lower Blue Mountains, going out northwest was such a wonderful experience in just the whole countryside. We went to city centres like Moree, but then out to Pilliga, I think there were 10 or maximum 12 students. Got to admire these teachers, you know. They teach in a one-teacher school. Age range, they teach them from five to kindergarten to year six. And then some children came in from the place that I'm not pronouncing well, Wangabar, Wambaga. I don't know how you pronounce that. Yep. Someone should tell us. Anyway, uh, they came in, their parents drove them from another one-teacher school. And the little towns up there are dwindling, as you know, because of the sawmills going out and all the rest of it. So Closing, yep. Yes. But anyway, we did read some poetry and we did a few activities and we had a bit of fun. And then I said, well, let's write a poem, a group poem, about an animal, real or imaginary. And I said, now, can you think of any imaginary animals? Well, oh, we got a unicorn and a dragon and that was okay. And then the little one in front with eyes as big as saucers, she looked at me and she said, and a yowie. Now, do you know I've never heard of a yowie? And I said, a yowie? Oh, yes. She said, we've got a yowie here. And she said, my brother saw it on Tuesday. And so I said, what's it look like? Oh, it's huge. Well, they all joined in and they ended up writing this beautiful poem, which they sent to me. And mm. I haven't, I've asked them for their names to, to read on air, but I haven't received it. But here, here's how it goes. I said to use your senses to 
poets use their senses. So mm. what does it look like? What does it, well, it smells like. They tried to get that in by saying the perfume reeked. Well, I, thought I left <laughs> that out. But what does it sound like and so on? Well, here it goes. There's a yowie in the Pilliga scrub. He lives on the bank of Tooley Creek, where my brother Pete saw him last week. He's ten feet tall and very hairy, and he has a long, tangled beard. There's murder in his eyes. These are little littleies. When it's getting dark, he roams around roaring and grunting, looking for snakes and brains to eat. <laughs> he is so scary that even the truckies don't stop this. <laughs> because he lives alone, he's lonely, but I don't want to be his friend. <laughs> so sweet. And it reminded me very much of Bill Scott and his marvellous little book on pelicans and, you know, the urban legends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Folklore, but he says about Yowies, I have little to comment. I'm sure I've seen some of them at folk festivals anyway, and anyone who's interested in their natural history can approach them personally and ask them. Though I must admit, I do admire the statue of the Kilcoy Yowie, which stands beside the road in that town, peering disconsolately from his plinth in the park across at the school and every now and then up the road at the pub, which same he is too firmly anxious to reach. I do wish the locals would leave him alone, though the last time I saw him a very necessary part of his plumbing had been knocked off, and I'm sure he misses it. But he said, let's leave the Yowie to his solitude. Yes, well, because people believe the Yowie exists, some people Well, I've never heard of the Yowie. You see, I, I, I learnt a lot up there. dissertation about freedom. I have a poem here uh, which was sent to me by our poetic friend Mandy Tunica and she said, Ian, I feel privileged to have received a copy of Bill Scott's unpublished poem, To Be Free, sent to me by his wife Mavis, which I found most moving as it seems to herald his death. Bill passed away some time ago. I particularly loved the last two lines and can imagine him drifting and singing the words, a migratory bird where universal miracles are found. God bless him, says Mandy. And apparently, according to his wife Mavis, Bill's uh, lifelong ambition, Bill Scott, was to write the perfect poem. <laughs> I suppose that's what we all want to do, write the per paint the perfect picture. And Mavis said that Bill thought that he'd never succeeded in that. But this is his poem called To Be Free. I think we in Australia, because we live a lovely life, take freedom for granted. But you only have to look at the Communist Party of China and the plight of Chiang Lai, who's been in jail for three years, and others too, to realise that freedom is to be much valued. And after COVID, many Australians believe that our freedoms have been reduced somewhat. But this is Bill's poem, To Be Free. When this old body where I spend my days crumples in death at last... I shall be free as those migrating whales among the ice when streams call them to the tropic sea. But my swift spirit will be journeying out from this blue and green and brown stained sphere to travel deeps the humpbacks never knew and visit wonders only dreamt of here. I shall go fishing in the Martian streams, play marbles with the asteroids, then speed outward and outward until I swim where Io dances after Ganymede. I should halt here and tell you about Io. That's one of Jupiter's moons, the fourth largest in the solar system, discovered in 1610 by Galileo Galilei and was named after the mythological character Io, a priestess of Hera, who became one of Zeus's lovers. All very confusing. I'll have to catch up on my Greek mythology. 
I'll read that verse again. I shall go fishing in the Martian streams, play marbles with the asteroids, then speed outward and outward until I swim where Io dances after Ganymede. Ganymede's another moon. Then further still and further out beyond the unpeopled reaches till our father sun shrinks to a tiny flare, past Saturn's rings, and yet my journey will have just begun. For there ahead lies the centaurian stars, Alpha and Proxima, there's Procyon, with giant Sirius and Bernard's star, to call me out and out and further on. There are no limits to the human mind, though body moulder in a wretched shroud. Spirit can sing and wander through the sky, exploring the lesser Magellanic cloud. When this old body where I spend my days crumples, outworn, discarded to the ground, I shall drift singing, a migrating bird where universal miracles are found. Bill Scott's lovely poem, To Be Free, which is sort of optimistic in some ways, saying that uh, after death you'll drift singing, but also saying that the only place where you can find real freedom is after death, I think. Good morning, Macca. It's Jonesy from Bendigo here. How are you? Uh, Jonesy, I'm all right. Uh, Macca, I'm just out on Quarry Hill Golf Course in Bendigo with my two Kelpie healers, Zimmer and Lexi. Zimmer is uh, named after Robert Zimmerman, the great Bob Dylan, and uh, it's a beautiful morning in Bendigo this morning. And who's Lexi named after? Uh, well, what's is Lexi gone? Lexi Corn is there? I'm not sure. The, the, the mother of my kids named Lexi, and Zimmer is mine, and um, Lexi is hers, but they're both a, a nine-year-old and a six-year-old, so they, they're, they're family dogs. Um, we've got an interesting family structure, but it all works beautifully. We share responsibility for the Dog walking, although 94% of it probably falls on me. So you're not uh, you're not playing golf, you're just out walking the dogs? Walking the uh, I'm just out walking the dogs. I've got the, I've got the gum boots on, I've got the beanie on, uh, I've got a red and blue um, puffer jacket, and we just have it. We do this every morning. I do it either before work or uh, do, it, um, do it on the weekend, sometimes a bit later than the weekdays before work. And I always, always come up at about 6 or 7 or 8 or 9. Even last night it was about 11.30 p.m. I came up, I might have been a bit later. Just let them off the leash and let them run around in the 18-hole golf course at Quarry Hill because there's plenty of things for them to chase and they love it. So, Jonesy, it must be a bit uh, fresh in Bendigo this morning. Uh, it's a tad fresh, but the sun's out and shining. Uh, there's a bit of dew on the course still, but it's a very lovely lush green at this time of year, Macca. They, they have a, all 18 holes open over winter and then they um, just run the front nine over summer because it's, they don't have the, the infrastructure to water it. Even though it's a cave from the CBD of Bendigo, it's a sad green course. But the good thing about that is everyone's welcome to walk their dogs off the leash. So it's dual purpose and the golfers and the dog walkers are able to coexist in perfect harmony. What do you do for a living, Jonesy? I'm a lawyer, Macca. Mm-hmm. Don't hold that against me. No, I don't. I don't at all. I, how's business? Look, it's not too bad. It's um, there's plenty of um, I, I work in dispute resolution and litigation, and there's a heap of people in conflict at the moment, which I think is un, unfortunate. I was at the Sheep and Wool Show up here for work a few weeks ago, and talking to a lot of farmers, a lot of wool growers, a lot of people working in the industry, and you find out some really informa- really interesting information. Tell us when you, you you ask people what's happening with their lives and their business, their livelihood, and then you listen to the answer, which is. Unfortunately, what I, what I think a lot of our politicians don't do, they don't stop and listen. People talk to you because you're a lawyer, because they tell you your problems. You're a bit like a doctor. When you when people walk in, they don't say, how are you, Jonesy? What, do you want to come for a beer? They usually say, oh, Jonesy, I've got a problem. 
And, yes. and, and I suppose you're a bit of a, an ear to the community and, and in lots of ways you're there to solve the problem, but you're also a, a kindly, usually, I think, <laughs> a kindly ear, which people need, don't they, in these times, don't you? Oh, absolutely. And I, I think it's really important to not only listen and understand what's going on in people's lives, but also to give them advice, um, which is firstly going to protect their interests, but also secondly, um, that is that is practical and gets them. You've got to give you've got to give a client the bigger picture, and then you've got to give them op- options and alternatives. And the problem with our legal system is that if you embark on, in my line of work, a protracted piece of litigation, it's incredibly stressful, um, and it's incredibly costly, and the, the outcome is never guaranteed. Mm. Um, so you've got to you've got to say that's the first thing you've got to say to a client that wants to sue someone or wants to go to. I don't do family law, but if you if you're Thinking about embarking on a um, a big fight about a will, which often comes up in farming families, or, or you're thinking about a big fight um, a, a, about a family law matter, you've really, as a lawyer, got to step back and say, give the overview from the outset. So this is this is one pathway to a resolution, but there are many other pathways. And what unfortunately our adversarial legal system does is that the word adversary means you're opposed and you're an enemy. Now, if you're talking about family law, why on earth would we have a system that pits um, a husband and wife or two former de facto's against one one another in battle when the reason they've come together in the first place is love? That's uh, very well spoken, Jonesy. Listen, Jonesy, we hope to be going down to Melbourne because... um, uh, the, the Anglican Church there and the Anglican Diocese in Bendigo have put their heads together to try and help continue to help places like Rochi, Rochester, but also yes. all also the little flooded towns around Australia, up on the northern rivers of the north coast of New South Wales, all over the place. People have been smacked, yes. haven't they, the last three or four years, apart from bloody COVID, pardon my French. But um, so maybe. Jonesy, you could come down to um, you could come down to um, I think it's in Surrey Hills. We might go there in September sometime. But um, if you get them, you could bring the dogs. Um, yeah, no, I'd love to. I've got to probably discipline them a little. But we'll. Uh, what what time of year are you expecting to be there? Uh probably around September, end of September, something like that. In about a month's time, we'll see how we go. Yeah, but... okay. Well, that I'll, I'll only get down there. I'm going to go down the. Uh, I think there's a few musicians playing uh, the Beatles' White Album down at. Um, the Arts Centre, which I'm hoping to go down with, with a, a mate of mine, uh, Luke Vagona, who's a barrister, uh, that I caught up with for beers yesterday down in Melbourne. I went down um, for, for Friday night. But um, speaking of music, Macca, a good um, track that um, is, is interesting from the era of the, the last track you were playing. Um, it's, it's a track called I Fought the Law, and the Clash did a cover of it, but the original's from a 1950s band. Yeah. Um, I, I the, think Bobby, you know the, band. The, the Bobby Full of Floor. The Bobby Full yeah. of Floor. I Fought the Law. Yes, I know it well. I know it well. Is, is there someone else that did it? Um, Sonny and the Crickets or something did it as well? Or I'm not sure if there was a, that was a, a cover before no, the Clash. Yeah, no, it was done. The original that I heard was by Bo- the Bobby Full of Floor, and then it was yeah. done by, and I just heard it the other day. Who did it, Kill? I can't remember. I'll find out. Um, I was just thinking the other day, and then yes, of course, the Clash did it. Um, but, yeah, but and one of the things I did before becoming a bush lawyer, Macker, is I worked for government. I worked for Attorney General on both sides of the Victorian government. I locked up Darren Hinch in contempt of court, got him in prison, which I think was a stunt by him, just to um, then had, had he make his way up to the Senate. But 
did some really interesting cases, but I saw a lot of people, you know, from, from my backgrounds who built, built their whole lives um, and, and then got knocked around by a recession or lost their businesses and their life work, and it just absolutely destroyed them um, because they were, you know, they, they saw themselves as head of the family and, and they were the provider and they spent their entire life providing for their family and then they got knocked for six, um, to put it mildly, by the by the economic climate and then they found themselves in unbelievable litigation because no one listened to what actually happened to them and the, the, the rule of law imposed itself. And we hear Christian Porter talk about the rule of the importance of the rule of law. The rule of law is manipulated in my view. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can see that when you read the papers these days. Some say the law's an ass. Jonesy, might see you in um, in uh, September in Melbourne, okay? Sounds good, Mark. Good to speak. Bruce is on a train, uh, I think. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning, Macca. You're on a train to where? Going into the city for the city to surf, and I'm oh. uh, playing the bagpipes for the 14 kilometres. Um, You're not playing I'm, them on the train? Uh, no, no. It's, I, I tried it once, but it didn't work. You'd be removed, I think. They'd probably <laughs> ask you to leave at the next station, the next stop. <laughs> I tried it in a cab going across the Harbour Bridge, but that didn't work either. <laughs> <laughs> Bruce, I think that's marvellous. So you're playing at... Uh, what time do you leave? Uh, I leave, leave about 10 o'clock at, at William Street there. I mean, the other... The, other, the runners have gone a uh, long time ago, but I'm in the last group with the prams. Yes, well, I'd put you in the last group. Actually, I'd put you. I'd start you about two o'clock in the afternoon. But no, not really. But, but I, I think. But don't you, don't you need your breath for walking and running rather than playing the bagpipes? God help me. Uh, I've been training. Have you? <laughs> How do you train for that? Uh, I've been doing a lot of walking and swimming and going to the gym. Yeah. And playing the bagpipes. And frightening, I, I, frightening possums and stuff when you're walking around. Yeah, go on. I was born in Condoblin, and I'm raising money for the uh, Condoblin family support today. So that's... Uh, and I'm going to do another walk out in, in the autumn out at Condo too. Oh, come out in the autumn? That's next autumn? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, yeah, I haven't decided on a date yet. I've got to work in with other organisations in the town. But that's... Uh, and how long have you been playing the bagpipes, Bruce? Uh, since 1964. Wow. And uh, you've got, got Scottish heritage, have you? Or? Oh, in, in, in great-grandparents and things like that. Yeah, all right. Well, there you go. Um, well, good on you, mate. Um, yeah, I, I think that'll be lovely. You'll, you, get, you get on TV. Didn't I see you on TV? Oh, I don't know whether I've been on TV, but I'll... I'll uh, I've certainly got the gear on today. I've got a kilt and I've got, uh, yeah, got a, a little cap with condo on it and uh, uh, things like that. So, uh, and they'll hear from me. The people will hear from me. You should get to the footy on the, the football on oh, Westmead. right? Yeah. You should go. You should go to the soccer on Wednesday and play uh, Walsy Matilda on your bagpipes. Yeah, we'll see how we go. Yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> Well, good on you, Bruce. Uh, keep in touch, mate. I'll see you in condo sometime. Right, I'd love to. All right, mate. Good okay. on you. See ya. Bye-bye. Bye. Janine's in Donnelly River. Is that right, Janine? Where's that? That's correct. Good morning, Macca. Good morning. Donnelly River Village. It's uh, the half, roughly the halfway point on the Bibbulmun Track, which runs from Kalamunda in the hills of Perth down to Albany. Mm-hmm. 
and it's about three and a quarter hours drive south of Perth. And what you're in a you're in a it says here you're in I'm, a red phone box. I am indeed. I've been waiting to call you from a red phone box for goodness knows how long. But this this is a very special time because there's a core group of end to end walkers that are celebrating 25 years of the realignment of the Bibbulmun track. And um, so they're walking the whole way and they're joined by sectional um, walkers from town to town and all the towns that they're walking in and out of along the track are welcoming them with open arms and they're having a wonderful time and they had a halfway party here at the village last night. It's an old sawmilling town. So Donnelly River's sort of halfway along the Bibbleman track, is it? Yes, it is. So it's 300 k's from Perth and what, 300 k's from Albany or... Is that well, where it goes to? They, I think they said last night 420 from Perth and 560 to go, but the whole track wow. is 1,003 kilometres. So, Gee, that's yeah. a long walk, isn't it? Yes, indeed, but it's beautiful. We're in amongst the tall, tall carries here, and uh, we've had they've been lucky enough to only have six days in about 31 of, of rain, a bit of rain, so it's been generally good walking weather for them, which uh, I'm glad. And what do you mean, uh, the realignment of the Bibbleman? What's happened there? Well, the, there were talks that started, as I read, um, way back in 72 about doing this wonderful trip through through the nature, and um, they wanted to just do a very long one that brought international recognition and whatnot, and um, to include the regional town, or the smaller towns along the track, and so it's they've uh, since the inception they've put in shelters that are like a day's hike in between each shelter, and people pack their tents. And uh, there's three-sided shelters and, and uh, facilities along the way that make it much more enjoyable. And apparently they get 177,000 walkers on it every year, wow. internationally, nationally, locally. And it brings in something in the order of eleven million dollars um, to the towns along the way and everything. Yeah, so, that's a lovely. It's a lovely thing to do. It's, it's quite rugged along there too, isn't it? But there's oh, some great walking been, tracks in Australia. Well, I haven't done much of it. I've just joined them to um, sort sort of spur them on, see them out. To, uh, we walked in with them for the day on Friday, and we'll see them off this morning. Um, but I'd love to do the whole lot eventually. Or, or, you know, people can do sections. And there's a lot of beautiful wattle out here at the moment. You'll be pleased to hear. Yes, exactly. And a, a lovely resident uh, um, group of emus and kangaroos that just roam freely around. And uh, we managed it on the one big telly to all come together last night and watch the Matildas. So... It's been, it's a lovely community atmosphere down here. Well, it's lovely to talk to you from Donnelly River Red Phone Box, Janine. Uh, thanks, <laughs> thanks for your call. Well, apparently the leader of the group, Steve Sirtis, who's a wonderful leader, I rang you ten years ago on the, uh, or, or no, fifteen years ago on the tenth anniversary from atop a mountain, trying to get service, and so he's spoken to you once before. Good on you, Janine. Lovely to talk to you. Okay, all the best, Mecca. See Bye. Ya. Bye. I'm in Yukai. You'll find that on your maps, although it's not as easy to find on the road. There's not a lot of signs to Yukai. I'm talking to David Preston, sometime contributor to the program. David's an artist. 
David, you've been a long-time resident of UKI? Eight years, I think. I had a goal from the age of 12 to be in UKI. Explain that. Well, I think everyone has a psychological spot on the map, and I think I chose UKI when I was a kid, when we came here on a family holiday, and it never left me. Was that because of Mount Warning, which is a lovely, impressive thing, isn't it? I think that was part of it, and it was like a wild west town, and um, it was a good place to play cowboys and Indians. So you finally got here eight years ago, after travels around the world? Been everywhere, yes. Special places, but UKI had to be the old. Now you're an artist, you've got uh, in front of you a catalogue of your work and here in this little cafe here, your work's hanging on the walls here, lovely stuff. Thank you for the compliment, Maka, and I think the last time we spoke we talked about painting and the meaning of art. When I opened this catalogue, it fell open at this page and there's a picture we're looking at, and it's of a hill. This painting was hanging in the Art Gallery of New South Wales and it solicited a comment from a six-year-old kid. I'll preface that by saying that, for me, a work of art, a painting at least, should have three pub tests. One, is it easy on the eye? Two, is it evocative? And three, does it have a sense of place? The kid said to me when he saw the painting of the hill, I like your painting. He said, it makes me want to walk up to the top to see what's on the other side. Well, for me, that was the evocative fulfilled. The painting, I think, is easy on the eye, I hope you agree, and it's definitely a particular hill. It has a sense of place. That's what I'm looking for in my work and that hopefully the viewer can put themselves there. How long have you been painting or drawing? All my life. I'm often asked, when did I start? Why did I start? Why did I choose to be a painter? And I think the best answer I've given is in grade three, third class, when Miss Baxter asked me to draw Santa on the blackboard, I got an early mark. And I thought, this is what I want to do forevermore. And when he was still there next Christmas, no one had rubbed him out, I thought, that settles it. And if you've been doing that, when you say you've been all over, were you doing that around the world? Or? Yeah, I had shows in New York. I lived for some years in Europe. I had exhibitions in Paris and uh, Geneva. It was mandatory almost for my generation to do the pilgrimage, to see what was out and about and to become international. These days, that's called a gap year, but you've obviously had a few more than one. I just follow my nose. I'd, I'd get off the plane somewhere with a box of paints, a pair of jeans and some American dollars and see what happened. That was that part of my life. I've also had, had sedentary moments where I've tried to be a artistic hippie. I spent some time in the bush having a go at being uh, self-sufficient while I painted. Too big a distraction. As far as Australia is concerned, I've always followed the football team that I've lived closest to and so far I've followed them all (laughs) and now it has to be the Gold Coast. So has art been a fulfilling life or a frustrating life? It's fulfilling when at the end of the day you can look at a picture and say well there's nothing to not like in my day's work. There's a modicum of success. Am I happy to sign this picture and then I'll be excited. David nice to meet you thank you. Pleasure Macker nice to meet you at last. Brian's in Warburton. In Warburton. Good morning, Brian. Morning, Macca. How are you? Uh, good. Oh, it's Brian Muller. Yes. Variety Bash. Variety Bash. And what are you doing? In... Yeah. So I've, I've lost track of the Variety Bash. What? When did you yeah. leave and what's going on? 
Well, we left last Sunday uh, and we left Bathurst and then we headed down to uh, Hay and then we had an overnight stop at Broken Hill, uh, then on to um, Wilpina Pound, up to Cooper Pedy, uh, and then on to uh, Alice uh, Ulara. Mm. And uh, we've had a, a lay day there and we've come out to Warburton. Then we head down to Leonora, up to Mekathara and, and across to Geraldton and finish on the Batavia coast. Because, how did you know, you... it was... Yeah. Sorry, how did you get to Warburton from Yulara? Is that the gun barrel or no? No, you, we went on a little bit of the gun barrel, but uh, you come across the central road, and uh, but it's pretty much all dirt. It's a, it's a lot of dirt. The road's not too bad, actually, at the moment, so mm. most of the cars got through okay. So we're expecting a little bit rougher today. But um, Mac, I still remember, Mac, when we uh, first met you in 95, when we did that bash oh. to Bustleton, and we, and we had the Arthur Boyd bonnet. And I still remember going home and thinking, gee, I've seen a lot of country and I, of Australia. And I pulled out a map, and I'd never been to Western Australia before. I pulled out a map and I looked and I realised how little I'd seen. It's such a huge country, and we are really out in the outback now, really out in the wilderness. In Warburton, um, yeah. It's yeah. Such, and how many uh, cars are on the bash this time? Uh, the numbers are a bit lighter because we've just finished a night of camping and some people are a bit uncomfortable, but uh, 72 bash cars plus all the official vehicles, so about 90 of us uh, heading along. Mm. Uh, so it's a big camp night last night, and then um, we head off this morning. So, And what's, uh, what happens in Warburton, mate? What's Warburton like? Um, not much happens in Warburton, I can tell you. That's... <laughs> It's pretty. It's a it's a dry camp, so that was interesting for a few bashes last night, and um, <laughs> it's a, it's an interesting place. But it's, I think it, you know, it's obviously a service centre and it's very very remote. But um, there's not much goes on. But the exciting news maker is, as you know, Dick Smith started this variety bash 39 years ago, and he started and made it B to B, and that's why this one is Bathurst to the Batavia coast. I don't think he ever imagined that it'd still be going, but next year is the 40th anniversary. Oh, wow. And uh, we love, there's a lot of things um, up the sleeve. The Bash Director's got a lot of things happening. Can't tell us yet. Doesn't get announced until about October, but we'd love to have you on board, and I'll certainly put you in touch with him when we get back oh, to Sydney. Oh, I'd lo- but, love to come. I wonder, yeah. if, is Dick going to go? I don't know whether they'll get some sort of guest appearance. As you know, Stuart uh, Telf has re- retired after all these years of Bash Director. Mm-hmm. And um, we've got a new one in Rob Vincent's doing a great job. Uh, he'll talk to you, and I'm sure they've got things like that planned and organised. But but uh, it, it should be a fantastic bash. Anybody that's done the bash and is thinking of doing it again or thinking they should do it for the first time, next year will be the great year to do it. So. Well, it's a, and it's a great fundraiser too, isn't it? That's And, and from little things like with the Dick uh, – and repeating the – started from the, you know, the Jellic Night Jack, the Red X uh, reliability trial and stuff, and started from that and – Look, you've raised, That's I don't know, $20 million. How many? How much oh, have they raised? Millions. I mean, look, it's hard. More than that. It, we raised $2 million in one year a couple of years ago. And the variety clubs um, in every state. In Victoria, I went on a Victorian yeah. variety bash one year. And yeah. in every state they've raised. It's, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? Helping not only just little country schools and stuff, giving them bits and pieces, but... So much money, and uh, oh, and it's a great, uh, it's, great thing. It's it's like a giant travelling circus. I mean, we, we rocked into Poon Kerry between Hay and Broken Hill. There's two <laughs> kids at the school. You know, they they expect that'll go to six, and somehow or other, in 2028, they think there'll be 15 to 16. But I think that's a lot of forward planning. I'm not sure how they're working that out. <laughs> and did you lot on the bash uh, watch the Matildas last night? 
there was a television screen and a lot of people crowded around it as we got into Warburton. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, fantastic result. Just uh, just so excited. It was great. Yeah. It was a really, really good, really, really good thing. But we, what one thing we did do in our lay day uh, in Yolara, it's, it's, it's what variety's about. And this wasn't planned, but a little 10-year-old boy rocked up and his mother was taking him to see his bucket list things. He was going to Ayers Rock because he wanted to see that. Uh-huh. And he's going to Sydney to see the Harbour Bridge because he's going to be blind in six months. He's 10 years old. Wow. And they put him in a bash car with the Star Wars team. They, it was our day off. They went and got all fitted out and dressed up and a couple of other teams. And the joy on this little kid's face, it was just, it was incredible. It was, you know, one of those moments. As one of my correspondents just said the other uh, little while ago when I read her email about um, life isn't about wealth. Wealth is more than money. It's much more than money, and uh, that's a lovely story, Brian. Yeah, yeah, just, you know, those sort of things. I mean, the chances of us being there for that to happen at the right time was was just a fluke, and it happened. It meant to happen. So the 40th uh, bash next year, I'll be there with a bit of luck. Um and, yeah, and I'd love uh, to have you along. yeah, I can you, I can be your um on your car. What sort of car have you got? Uh, we've got a 1969 ZB Ford Fairlane, and we go as the M and M's, dressed up as the little chocolates. <laughs> I think you might have seen us as that once. We've got a red, a blue, green, chocolates. and an orange. <laughs> <laughs> the little chocolates. All right, Brian. Good on you. Yeah. Um, and say, right, good, say good day to Rob, and uh, yeah, good luck in the rest of your travels. Yeah, and we'll be in touch. See you, mate. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.